here Wednesday night is here now but I was reminded after uh, after the service Wednesday night that when I uh, was it Wednesday or Sunday whenever it was that I spoke about the uh, the the oil the wick and the lamp when I almost started a furniture fire here in the auditorium I got a little bit of flustered and I never made the connection between the wick and the human spirit so it was brought to my attention afterwards that someone said you didn't tell us what the wick was it was Dan Powell by the way and he he uh but he did make the proper connection he said the wick was the human spirit right and I said yes that's right and I realized I'd never I didn't say that out loud I read the verses that made that point but I did not state that plainly, that the wick was the human spirit drawing that was in, immersed in the oil, which represented the spirit of God, which provides the light, of course, the oil flowing through the wick. So that, to clarify that. Now, today's lesson. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, called The Bread of Life, and... Uh, our focus today is on John 5, 36. Uh, so I want to read that verse right now. Jesus speaking, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Uh, the title of this morning's lesson is 38 Years. 38 Years. Um, the truth that we want to, to make sure that we absorb this morning is Jesus is God in the flesh. Everyone said amen to that. Amen. And the thing that we want to apply is that I will be a witness and testify that Jesus is who he said he is. Praise God. Um, that, would, that would change the whole world if people got that revelation, right? If, who Jesus is. The overview of this series, Jesus first stopped at a pool of water in Bethesda and healed a man who had been lame for 38 years. Uh, once he stood up to walk away, Jesus walked toward a multitude who was hungry for bread and, and the bread of life. Miraculously, Jesus fed a city full of people with a sack lunch. Then he fed their souls the word of God. After the meal, 
Jesus proceeded to walk on the water to rescue his disciples. And after all that evidence of his divinity, uh, the crowd still ultimately rejected him as their Messiah. So that's this whole series is going to uh, stretch over those various uh, stories, those various uh, narratives. And it's all about, focus of course is on the book of John and the book of John, his emphasis throughout uh, the Gospel of John is to reveal that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, that he was Messiah, that he was the one God come, on, come to the earth. So uh, we're going to focus on that today a little bit, uh, on the revelation of who Jesus is. Uh, if, if that sounds strange to you when I talk about the revelation of who Jesus is, then, then maybe you don't really completely have it just yet because I know for myself it was a revelation and I was raised in a in a religious uh, family and not not overly religious but we never missed a Sunday morning um, I went to a uh, parochial is the word we used to use a parochial grade school um, so and uh, so I got plenty of religious instruction as a child in in once in a while I even got stuff from the Bible <laughs> But nonetheless, uh, when, I, when I came to Calvary Gospel Church and I felt the presence of God and I heard the preaching of God's word, there came to me a revelation from the presence of God about who Jesus is. Amen? Once you realize that it was the mighty God, robed in flesh, that suffered and died on the cross for my sins, that changes your whole perspective. Amen. I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is, this is the message that we need to share. This is one of the most important concepts of our belief system, who Jesus is. It's what the world needs to know because he's our Savior. Praise God. All right, I'm supposed to be teaching a lesson here. <clears throat> it was rather big that year. A lot of things going on. People gathered in New York City's Times Square to signal the dawning of a new year as December 31st gave way to January 1st. Perhaps this year would be the best year. It began as a year of promise. During the first month, NASA was scheduled to launch a shuttle carrying a teacher into space. Krista McAuliffe was going to be the first teacher and astronaut, and she was scheduled to conduct experiments and teach two lessons to the whole world from space. However, only 73 seconds after the launch, the Challenger broke apart, and we lost all seven astronauts on board, including Mrs. McAuliffe. That's one of those events most of us remember where we were when it happened. That's the one time we turned on the TV at Calvary Christian Academy. <laughs> While we mourned the loss of the Challenger's crew, another disaster shook the world three months later. One of the nuclear reactors at Chernobyl nuclear power plant exploded, claiming the lives of 31 people and contaminating the surrounding area. To help the world take their minds off these major tragedies, uh, 
such things as the Phantom of the Opera came uh, around to entertain the masses, opened to rounds of applause at Her Majesty's Theater in London in October of that same year. The Phantom ran for 13,629 performances before its final curtain fell in 2020. Those major newsmaking, life-changing world events seemed to happen a lifetime ago. They were 38 years ago from today. 38 years. 1986. 38 years from now, it'll be 2062. 38 years can be a long time. The world has changed quite a bit in those 38 years. Ronald Reagan was president of the United States. Gasoline was 86 cents a gallon. A new modestly sized house cost $92,000, and the annual median salary was just under $30,000. For a fast-moving, jet-setting business person or a growing family, 38 years can go by in a moment. But for a person living with paralysis or relying on others for food and shelter, like the man at the well, 38 years can crawl by like a turtle. Let's read the story, John 5, 1 through 16. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches, or colonnades, covered walkways. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he'd done these things on the Sabbath. This is early in the ministry of Jesus Christ, and his name was not quite yet a household name, as it had, it became later. Uh, he had already turned, evidently. If we know that the Gospel of John is not 
completely chronological, so some things aren't placed in the, in the uh, order of time that they took place. But uh, it's pretty clear that this took place after the uh, wedding at Cana, where Jesus turned the water into wine. Uh, so the reason they had to ask, because they weren't yet fully familiar with Jesus and his works. What else can he do? Who is this man? Within days, Jerusalem was bustling with travelers and tourists coming to a feast. That's what was, was happening there. The, the city was crowded because there was a feast going on. And there's a big discussion. If you, if you read, uh, some believe it was Pentecost. Some believe it was uh, the Passover, uh, uh, maybe the Feast of Tabernacles. But uh, most uh, commentators believe that it was the, the, the Pentecost, the uh, celebration of the Pentecost. So Jesus is here uh, it, during the, the celebration, this festival that takes place, this feast in Jerusalem. And he arrives and his followers uh, are with him. But he goes past the main attractions of Jerusalem there in a the city where the merchants are, are selling their various wares uh, for this great feast day. He went past the great and glorious temple that had been built there in the uh, Roman soldiers at the Antonia Fortress. And he went down to this uh, well, this, this pool uh, on the uh, outskirt of the temple. Uh, there's, again, a lot of discussion just about where this pool was and which pool it was. But nonetheless, it was surrounded by these five colonnades, these five porticos, and there were people in need, sick and, and lame all about. This is where Jesus went. The book of John records that the sick, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed were all trying to live their life, maybe get a better life there by the pool of Bethesda. They wanted healing. But they waited and somehow believed that the stirring of the water was the thing that would make them whole. Jesus came into this sea of sickness and paralysis. And there he found a man who had been sick for 38 years, disabled. See, Jesus knew who this man was. He knew why he was there. He went past all of the external and extraneous uh, objects and, and limitations and went directly to this man and asked him the question, would you be made whole? Would you like to be well? Maybe you've brought something here today and maybe the same question is in your mind. Can I be made whole? Can I be made well? Can I be healed? It's not always a physical ailment that causes us to seek the presence of God. But I believe the Holy Ghost asks us this question. Would you be made whole? But looking at it from the outside, seeing all of these people in need gathered around this pool hoping for some kind of miraculous touch, why would Jesus ask the question, isn't it obvious? That's why they're there. I believe that the reason that, that Jesus asked this question 
is because there needs to be a, a, a step of faith on our part. God knows our need, the Bible says, before we pray. But it's up to us to express in faith the, our need to him, believing that he can do something for us. So Jesus asked him, would you be made whole? The man did not give the direct answer, but he began to give an excuse, a reason why he couldn't be. Isn't that how we respond so often to what God promises us? We come up with an explanation as to why it won't work. Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Verse 7 of John 5. But while I am coming, another step of down before me. I, I, I would be already well. I'd be... We make excuses for ourselves. The man was about to reach his 40th anniversary in this condition 38 years ago. Jesus did not hesitate. He commanded the man, Rise up, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Immediately, a man who had not walked for 38 years, I don't know, I. I believe probably that he felt strength come into his body at the speaking of the word. Otherwise, why would, he, why would he have the confidence to stand up? But he stood up immediately, the Bible says, and picked up his bed. He obeyed the word, and he began to walk. A simple command from the mouth of Jesus Christ. That's the word of God being spoken is what that is. It's the same word that created the heavens and the earth. When Jesus speaks to your heart, if we, will, when, if we receive it, when we hear it, the rhema of God's word has transforming power, healing power, delivering power just at the word of God. Praise God. One simple command from Jesus erased a generation-long illness and gave the man a brand new beginning. That's one. Some people measure that to be a generation, 38 years. And that's another whole other discussion, but that's a, an actual uh, consideration in this story is that this man lived a generation in this condition. Why this man? Did this man actually have the faith? Did Jesus see something in him that set him apart? We don't know if anybody else was healed on that day. Perhaps there were. John did not tell us that. All he did was tell us about this man, this story. Jesus walked into this, this pool of, of humanity, if I can use that term, and this man was healed. Praise God. I want to be the one that hears the word of God today. This tells us that Jesus cares about our needs. It tells us that if we respond in faith, God will keep his word. All miracles are for the glory of God, but this miracle appears to be Jesus giving strength and hope to a man who had lost both hope and strength. Just as he cared for this man, he cares for each one of us. Perhaps you've been battling an addiction that stole your past and threatens your future, but Jesus cares enough to set you free. 
Maybe a sickness has sapped your health or even your hope. Jesus cares enough to sit next to you as the doctor reads a diagnosis. Jesus cares enough to heal, to make whole in body, soul, or spirit. Jesus cares more than we know. The disciples saw firsthand the difference Jesus' compassion made for someone who desperately needs it. And we have seen it too. We've experienced it for ourselves. Too often we overlook the miracles that God has done for us. How he shows his care for us. The God of the universe who spun the planets and molded the mountains, he cares. Even cares when we cry. Don't lose hope. Don't offer excuses for why you can't receive a miracle. Have faith that Jesus cares for you and that he will speak the word of healing into your life. Praise God. The people were happy. Jesus was happy. The man who was healed was happy. The disciples were happy at what they saw, even probably a little overwhelmed. But not everyone in Jerusalem was happy. There were religious leaders that, after this event, wanted to kill Jesus because he did this thing on the Sabbath. They demanded to know why Jesus intentionally violated the law of the Sabbath and worked a miracle and then told this man to pick up his bed and walk. Did not Jesus know that carrying a bed is considered work? See, here's a a misunderstanding that a lot of people have when when we read in the Bible that the the Pharisees or the Jews, when we say the Jews... Oftentimes, especially in the Gospel of John, uh, but oftentimes what that really means is the religious leadership in Jerusalem, the Jewish religious leaders. Uh, and in this case, that's, that's how it applies. Uh, what we sometimes forget is that when the Bible talks about them being upset about Jesus violating the law, he's not violating the Scripture He's violating the rules that they have attached, that the Jewish leaders have attached to the law of Moses. Never one time in his life did Jesus Christ disobey the word of God. But what he did do was even to the point of flaunting it was disobey the rules that the Jews had applied to the law of Moses, that they had added to it. And this is one of those cases where they had defined down to minute details what was and what wasn't considered work. Any kind of moving of furniture, carrying of furniture was considered work. And since this man carried his own bed, which is probably more like a a cot or a a stretcher, or maybe a mattress, but he picked that up and carried it. He was doing work according to their uh, understanding, but it was not a violation of the word of God, the law of Moses. They had added this. Jesus was letting them know 
that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. You remember in another place in the Bible, the, his disciples, they went through a field and they took grain and they rubbed it in their hands so that they could they have something to eat. And they got rid of the chaff and ate the kernels. And the, the Pharisees were upset. They said, they're, and it was on a Sabbath day. They're working on, that's work as far as they were concerned because they were separating the, the kernel from the chaff of the wheat. And he said, no, that's not work. That, and he explained to them, using an example from the Old Testament, where it was allowed for David to do some things on the Sabbath day in order to sustain himself. And Jesus went on to say that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, that God created the Sabbath for man so that there, we could have rest. And he didn't create us to, to live up to the Sabbath law. He created the Sabbath so that we could have that rest. It was done for us. And the Jews were using it against us. So here's Jesus again establishing the fact that I'm the one who created the Sabbath. I'm the Lord. What this comes down to is that Jesus was using their own religious discussions against them, their own religious tradition even. Uh, the, the, the Jews had a belief. They, they had to understand why on the seventh day when God rested, everything just didn't quit. Because if God just totally turned off on the seventh day, then everything that he created wouldn't have, it would have ceased to exist because he is not only the giver of life, he's not only the creator, he is the sustainer. So they had to come to the conclusion that on the seventh day, though, Jesus, uh, though God had uh, ceased from creating new things, he was not completely at rest because he was still sustaining life. So on the Sabbath, their reasoning went, they could, there were certain life-sustaining things that could be continued because that's what God did on the Sabbath. Children are born on the Sabbath. Uh, uh, livestock came into being. God gave life on the Sabbath. That was their reasoning. And as a result, uh, it, was, it was acceptable to do things that were life-sustaining that were necessary because that was, Jesus turned it around on them and he said, well, this man, his life was, was destroyed and all I did was give him new life on the Sabbath. How can you judge me for that? He turned it against them. He used their own reasoning to say, to prove to them that he was the almighty God robed in flesh just as on the, day, on the seventh day of creation, Jesus was showing them, I continue to sustain life. On this Sabbath day, I continue to give life, new life to people. This man did not know the law, probably, as well as the, the leaders of Israel did. But he knew one thing, he heard the word of God. When Jesus spoke to him, he believed, he obeyed, 
So he carried the bed, just like he was told to. That's what he told them when they questioned him. What are you doing carrying your bed on a Sabbath day? Don't you know that's a violation? He said, well, the guy who healed me obviously had some authority, so I obeyed him. He told me to take up my bed and walk. We need to give Jesus authority in our lives. Later, Jesus went looking for the man and found him in the temple, and he had another conversation with him. This time he talked about his soul. He told him, don't, don't sin anymore. Give God, give God honor as a result of this. Let your, your spiritual life, let your, your, your eternal life uh, begin just like your new life has begun in the physical. He could not walk before, but now he's walking out of the temple. And on the way, he gave the Jewish leaders a description of the one who healed him, this Jesus of Nazareth, this troublemaker. They had heard about miracles, but this time he crossed the line, for he did it on the Sabbath day. See, Jesus was beginning to make a divine claim. He was beginning to show, reveal who he was to the people of Israel. And this upset the Jewish leaders because they thought they had a corner on God. They thought they understood everything that there was to know about God and that if anyone was going to receive it, they should receive it from them. Look at John 5, 17. Uh, Verse 16 says that the Jews began to persecute him and sought to kill him. In verse 17, Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. This is that same argument that I was just making that, that, you know, I work when when my father works because I'm God manifest in the flesh. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. See, they got the message. They understood the point. They knew what he was saying. They turned their sights on Jesus. Maybe they thought he would would ask for forgiveness or mercy or submit to them. Let, Let everyone know who was really in charge. But Jesus did just the opposite. He equated himself with the Almighty God. They understood this. They reacted accordingly. They sought to kill him. They thought Jesus was just a man trying to be God, but in fact, he was God revealing himself as a man. They could not understand it. This was a a watershed moment for the Jews. This was a turning point for all of Israel. We can't afford to make the same mistake today. Jesus is not just a prophet not just a great teacher, not just a good man, not a second person of a a triune Godhead. Jesus is the almighty God come in the flesh. He's Lord and God. He's not just the lamb laid in the manger in Bethlehem. He's the lion of Judah. This miracle is recorded along with all the other miracles John said in John 20, 
that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Praise God. In this argument, Jesus, it's almost like a trial situation, and he brought witnesses to testify on his behalf before the court of the Jews. He testified for 29 more verses in the, in the book of John. And the more he talked, the angrier they got. Jesus produced witnesses on his own behalf who testified to his identity and authority. His first witness was John the Baptist. See, none of these, these accusers were really high on John the Baptist in the first place because he had kind of showed them up when he came preaching repentance. He bore witness, however, of the one that was to come, who we now know as Jesus. John said uh, that we should prepare the way of the Lord. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness in Mark 1. And I would like to add to that that in Mark 1, it, it really has the, the uh, article in front of it says he was the one. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Praise God. The accusers needed a stronger witness than John. Well, he said, my father testifies who I am by the works that I do. God himself had commissioned this, this Messiah. Jesus was doing what he was doing as a result of what God was doing in him and through him, even on the Sabbath day, according to his divine identity. Jesus not, did not come with a hand-scrawled to-do list. He was doing the Father's work, the Father's will, every minute of every day. How convicting it must have been for these men who were supposed to be speaking for God that they had never heard from him. John 5.45 says this. Jesus said, Do not think I shall accuse you to the Father, for there is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. And here it was. Once again, Jesus is going to take their own belief system and use it against them. They, if they didn't want to accept John the Baptist as a, as a witness, if they did not believe that, that the Father was bearing witness, then he would use their most dependable witness, Moses. They believed that they were upholding the law of Moses. But Jesus let them know that it was Moses who bore witness to who he was. Moses prophesied of a coming Messiah and described in terms described this messiah in terms that could only apply to Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled each one of these mosaic prophecies to the letter. The wonders that Jesus worked coupled with the testimonies of his witnesses should have been enough for these Jews to bow down and worship him, but they refused. They thought they loved and revered Moses, but Jesus charged them that they had disobeyed and ignored Moses. Not to mention the fact that they had added to the law of Moses. 
If they only listened to Moses, Jesus said, they would listen to him. They did not believe Moses' words or else they would accept him. Many believe that this feast that Jesus was in Jerusalem for the feast, many believe that it was actually the day of Pentecost by a process of elimination. And by that time, the day of Pentecost had become associated with the giving of the law to Moses. So when they celebrated Pentecost, they were also remembering that on the mountain, uh, God gave Moses the law. And they trusted in the law of Moses for their status and their relationship with God, even their salvation. Some even believe that some of these believers, these uh, Jews, they actually claimed that Moses was an advocate before God on their behalf. Now, that's the first time I've read of that, but that, that evidently was, was something that was there, just that he was an advocate on their behalf in heaven. But Jesus turned to them and said, you're claiming Moses, that this is your ticket to heaven. This is how you're, you're going to have eternal life. But you're not even properly applying his teaching or understanding that he spoke of me. This is one of the hardest things for me when I, when I talk to people about the Lord, people who have, who, have, who have a relationship with God, who have an understanding of the scripture to some extent, and they've come so far when I want to help them understand who Jesus really is and what the new birth really is that that they won't they won't take the next step they won't release uh, the the things that are, are confusing and accept truth Jesus wants to reveal himself to all of us as the one true God, the mighty God in flesh. We shake our heads at the hard-headedness, but there's no way we can judge them or change what, what their behavior was. But we are called to believe the word of God for ourselves. Jesus commanded us the same as he commanded them. He told them in John 5, 39, search the scriptures, for they are in them are they which testify of me. Praise God. From the beginning of Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation 22, the scriptures testify that Jesus is coming, that Jesus has come, and that he's coming back again. Praise God. The mighty God, the creator of the world, the one who spoke the world into existence, he will come again. On that day, after 38 years of waiting for a miracle at the pool, Jesus healed that lame beggar. Well, what happened on the next day? Must have been a sight for the people that were regulars at the pool. Not seeing him there, his spot was empty. I assume I probably he was went to kind of like when we come to church, we sit in the same place all the time. He was a fixture. Just like the sun rises in the east and sets in the west for 38 years. 
this man was at the Bethesda pool. But not this day. His absence was evidence to who Jesus is. Some people probably asked, where is he? Did he die? Did someone take him home? Nope. This man spoke to him and he was healed. He carried his bed out. The evidence and the witnesses were piling up for the proof that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. No one else could do what Jesus could do. Although the Jews were upset that Jesus had worked on the Sabbath in their minds, none could deny that a man was healed and was able to walk when he couldn't walk before. Neither could they prove that even one scripture on one scroll contradicted who Jesus would be or what he did. These Jewish leaders were unwilling to believe, unwilling to believe. That's a problem when we're unwilling to accept the truth. Partly because they knew that it would mean they would lose their power and influence. I just really feel like, I don't know if it's online or here in the house, but that we need to take this to heart. Someone, the Lord is talking to somebody, I feel, about this unwillingness to receive the word. We, we often don't admit to ourselves why it is that we're resisting God. We're, we're unwilling to admit that it's because I will lose, maybe I'll lose my friends or I'll lose my position, I'll lose my income, I'll lose my power, I'll lose uh, uh, respect. I won't be able to sit at the head of the table at Thanksgiving or whatever. We don't always admit to ourselves the reason why we're resisting God, why we're unwilling to take the next step in our walk of faith. But if we will let God reveal himself to us, he will, he will give us exceeding great and precious promises that whatever we surrender, whatever we give up, whatever we let go of, he will give us something better. I said he will give us something better. They were not ready to give up their power and influence, besides which they would have to admit to their own sin and repent. That is the last step, isn't it, in, in surrendering to God, admitting, yeah, I am a sinner. I have sin in my life. What about each of us? Do we need more evidence? We have the word of God. We have the testimony of God himself. We, we have record of the wonders that Jesus has worked. There's record of miracles here in this auditorium. Walking records of the work of God. No one else can do that but God himself. We have the testimony of all of creation. There's no question that the world we live in, the universe that we dwell in, was, was created by a, a superior intellect beyond all that we can even imagine. This declares the glory of God. We can take it all in. We should search the scriptures. We can look at the evidence. And then we can look at our own lives. And we sh should see 
what the Jews should have seen, that Jesus is the almighty God robed in flesh. Let's stand. I thought I was going to be early. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you, God, for coming in the flesh, for coming to save our souls, for delivering us, for healing us, for making us whole, for filling us with your spirit, for giving us your name, for washing away our sins. All of these things we could not do for ourselves, you did for us. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for the word of God. We thank you, Father, for your ministry in this place. Help us, God, to, to walk in the light and have fellowship with each other and to let that light shine from our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If you have children, you can pick them up at the checkout point. Uh, if you take a moment, meet someone, greet someone, shake someone's hand, especially if you have never met them before. <laughs>